Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial at searchenginejournal.com forward slash audible and get your first book for free. We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world and all we can think about is where... Where can I hook up my bottom? Digital pen hard at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another great Marketing Think Tank webinar. My name is Kelsey Jones. I'm the executive editor at Search Engine Journal, and I'm excited to be joined here today with Danielle Antos. She is our features editor and my co-host on the Freelancers Forum segment of our podcast on Marketing Nerds. Danielle, thanks for being here and uh, sharing so much great info with us today. Hey, Kelsey. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Um, so hi, my name is Danielle, like Kelsey just said, I am the features editor at SCJ. Um, I'm a full-time freelancer, I've been full-time for about three years now, about eight years freelancing total. And we're going to do a Q&A at the end, but if you want to reach out after the webinar, you can contact me on Twitter, and that's my Twitter handle, it's actually on every slide, so that's me. So I'm going to go through what we're going to talk about real quick, just to give you an idea. Uh, the first topic is facing the fear, and that's just the fear related to becoming a freelancer, whether that's starting out or whether that's once you get to the point where you want to go full-time. Um, next is getting started. It's a little bit broad because it really depends a lot on your situation, what industry you're in. And then when to go full-time, when to let go of the, the kind of the comfort of a com uh, your regular job, as I call it, the real job, um, and when to actually go full-time as a freelancer. Um, next is where to find work. There's dozens and dozens of sites, so I'm going to share my favorites. And then client red flags. So these are people to look out for to avoid wasting your time. <clears throat> so facing the fear. Um, there's a lot of fear for me um, involved in going freelance, especially going full-time. I was scared that I wasn't going to make money. I was scared I was making a huge mistake. Um, I was terrified I wasn't going to be able to pay my bills. And so I just wanted to kind of share what I did that helped me deal with that. Maybe it'll work for you, maybe it won't, but it's at least a place to start. <clears throat> and I call that defining your worst case scenario. So this is like a mental exercise of going through what's going to happen if you fail. Um, just kind of giving yourself the space to, I don't know, sort of have a plan. It's not really a backup plan necessarily. It's not necessarily saying, hey, I'm going to fail. Um, so for me, that was what happens if I can't pay my bills? What happens if... I go full-time freelance, all my clients dry up, I don't make any money, and then what? For me, I bartended and waited tables for about 10 years. It's obviously not my ideal career. It was something that I was quite good at, I think, and I made decent money. So I knew, worst case scenario, I could go back to waiting tables. I wouldn't be homeless. I wouldn't starve. Um, and just kind of playing that out in my head really helped me, so I wanted to share that. So how to start. Like I said, this is really broad just because it really, really, really depends on what you want to do. Um, if you're going to be an SEO, it's going to be a different journey than if you're a writer like I am. And so most of this advice that I share is based on um, my experience as a writer and in digital marketing. Um, and I do the, my very best to kind of make it broad so that everyone can apply it. And if you've got more questions about any particular industry, you can ask in the Q&A session. Okay, so the first step is decide what you want to do. Hopefully you already know that, but maybe you just want to be a freelancer, you want that freedom, and you're not really sure where to start. Um, do you want to be a graphic designer? Do you want to be an SEO consultant? Do you want to be a writer? Um, there's lots of different areas that you can go into. One of the things I definitely want to touch on is you'll hear a lot of advice saying that you need to niche down, that if you're going to be a graphic designer, you need to decide that you're going to be a graphic designer for women who are under 35, moms, and have creative businesses. Long term, having a very specific ideal client is great, but in the beginning, you don't you don't have to do that. If you want to be a graphic designer, start working with clients and see who you click with best. See who your style works best with. Don't feel like you have to niche down and be so, so, so specific in the very beginning. I think that's a mistake that a lot of freelancers make. So after you've decided what you want to do, you need to get hired to do it at least once. Um, one of the areas I hear a lot of... It's hotly contested whether you should work for free or not, right? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with working for free once or twice to build up a little bit of a portfolio if you don't have one. 
but do not do it over and over and over again. It devalues your time, it devalues your entire industry. So if you need to start out a little on the lower end to get that experience, absolutely do it. But once you know what you're doing, insist that you get paid what you're worth. And that's something that I think every freelancer struggles with, I do even. Um, Kelsey and I have kind of talked about it, you know, how to raise your rates. There is a podcast, I'm not sure which one it is, Caitlin, I apologize, but maybe we can, uh, between me and Kelsey, we can dig it up. Um, so the next step is to join communities. So when you work in a corporate environment, you've got the water cooler kind of idea, right? You go out to lunch with people, you hang out at their cubicles, whatever, you don't have that as a freelancer. So joining communities, whether it's local or online communities, communities is a really great way to stay connected and to kind of just kind of bounce ideas off of people. My favorite is Facebook groups. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. I adore Facebook groups. They're a great way to network. <clears throat> and lastly, you have to keep learning. Specifically, if you're in digital marketing, um, the industry changes a lot. One of the tools I use for this is Feedly, and Caitlin's got that link to share with you guys. And it just kind of helps you organize all the different blogs that you might want to follow. Um, I'm definitely an inbox zero kind of person. I don't like having dozens and dozens and dozens of things in my inbox. So this is a way that I can go and read what I want to read without having to clutter up my inbox. All right, so the next one is, when do I quit my real, and I put that in quotes, real job? <clears throat> the most common answer to this is, that you should have three months worth of bills in your bank account. So three months of rent, light bill, mortgage payment, whatever it is you have. Um, but the truth is it's going to depend. So if you are the main breadwinner for a family of five, when you're able to make that jump, it's going to be way, way different than if you're single and live with three different roommates, right? The three month is a pretty good rule of thumb. Um, for me, I had the support of my now husband. Um, not that he was paying the bills, but he made enough that if I totally flopped, we weren't going to be homeless. Not everyone has that, and I totally understand that. So, like I said, the rule of thumb, three months in savings, and, you know, maybe a backup plan if you run out after that three months. If you're doing service-based, most likely you start making money pretty quick within the first, like, three weeks. So, you should be okay. Um, what I do want to say is at a certain point, you have to just do it. There's never going to be a perfect time. There's never going to be a perfect amount of money in the bank. There's always going to be something that comes up, um, a leak in your roof, a flat tire, something that makes you think, well, maybe I shouldn't do this. At a certain point, you just have to pull the trigger, and you have to figure out when that is for you. Um, so how do you find clients? First, I'm going to go over the three like main places or areas um, where you can find clients, and then I'll get into like really specific sites, the sites that I actually use and Kelsey actually uses. Um, so three different kinds are first the job boards. These are places, um, industry blogs, industry publications. Um, they'll often have a job board, generally. Not always, but generally if you look in the nav bar, it's going to be on the far right. It's usually the last one or one of the last ones. Um, ProBlogger is one that I use a lot, but I'll get into more, more places on the next slide. The next one is hiring platforms. Some people like these, some people hate them. It's very much a love-hate relationship, I think, in the industry as a whole. Um, if you're just starting out, this can be an ideal place to start. And what I mean by hiring platforms is Elance, Upwork, places like that. The reason they can be a great place to start is there's a lot of protections in place on both sides. So you can look and see who a client's worked with before. You can see reviews from clients or from past um, freelancers that have worked with them. Um, Upwork specifically, although they do take 20% of your money, um, there's protections in place. So I'm actually working with a client right now. They set a goal. They're like, hey, write these 10 articles. Then that money is placed in escrow that Upwork holds. So I won't know the money exists. I know I'm going to get paid. And then when I turn it in, they release the escrow. The client releases the escrow, and the money comes through. Those protections when you're just getting started, I think, are really important. Um, and it, it definitely helps build up trust with clients when you're working online. It can be kind of terrifying when you have no idea who you're really working with. Um, and the third one is referrals. This is going to take some time. I'm going to stress relationships, building relationships a lot, and this is where it comes in, I think, most prominently, is referrals. There's nothing wrong with after you've built a relationship with a client, you've done the good work, to ask, hey, you know, I've got some availability this month. If you nobody else, anyone else looking for this what I've done so awesomely for you, can you, you know, could you refer me? It doesn't have to be a thousand word email, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, just a short email, just make sure you have that relationship first. If you don't have a solid relationship, 
they're not going to refer you and you're just going to kind of look kind of needy and, well, dumb, to be honest. Um, so focus on that relationship if you want to do referrals. Okay, so this is what you've all been waiting for. Um, some of these are going to be new, some of them won't. There's dozens and dozens of sites. These are my top favorite ones. First is ProBlogger. Like I said, that's a job board. Um, and Caitlin's going to share all these links in the chat. I've given her a full list of this. Um, ProBlogger is obviously in the word blogger. It's mostly writing, uh, but there's a wide variety of writing. So if you are well-versed in a specific industry, um, fitness or whether it's SEO or whatever, there's, there's a lot of different um, clients that are looking for specific industry bloggers on that one. Craigslist, yes, really. So my trick with Craigslist is to look at the big cities, even if you don't live there. So that's New York, Chicago, Miami, Austin, Atlanta, San Francisco, probably LA. A lot of times when clients are working, looking for remote workers, they're going to post in those big metro areas, even though you don't need to live there. Um, so that's my trick for that. Um, even when I didn't live in Chicago, I searched Chicago's Craigslist. You're just looking for that remote work. Um, next is Upwork. That is the one I've been most successful with as far as uh, kind of the hiring platforms. It's actually where I found S2J, surprisingly. There is a lot of spam on these sites. You do have to be careful, but there's also a lot of sort functions. So on Upwork, I can sort by clients who haven't hired anyone before ever. I don't want to see those jobs. Clients that are looking for entry-level positions. I don't want to see those jobs. I can filter all that out. So if you use the filters correctly, um, you, you can definitely find the higher-end jobs. Next one is FlexJobs. This is actually a pay site, um, which I usually don't recommend paying for leads, but FlexJobs has really high-quality jobs. They also have a lot of remote positions, like full-time remote positions. So if you're craving more of the flexibility, but the idea of you know, having to chase clients all the time terrifies you, that might be a good choice. Um, next is ClearVoice. This is a content management system, and they also produce really high-end content. So if you're a writer, this is a great one. You don't get to sort through jobs. Um, people have to come to you. So I don't tend to get very many jobs from them, but when I do, they're always high quality and then they pay well. So I definitely wanted to mention that one. Uh, if you're in the digital marketing field as a whole, Media Bistro, they have a job board. That one's really good. And then two other uh, similar to Upwork is the job boards. Sorry, not the job boards. The uh, <laughs> hiring platforms are freelancer.com and guru.com. Um, they've both been around for a while and are at the very least legitimate. If you are a writer, then you're in the right place because that's my uh, that's my wheelhouse. Um, Caitlin's got two links to share to these uh, these resources for writers specifically. Jeff Bullis has a post: 20 sites that pay 100 bucks or more per article, and then the coffee uh, morning coffee newsletter. They send out a newsletter every morning uh, with a bunch of leads to jobs. Granted, it goes out to a bunch of other people too, so you have to sort through them. Um, and I don't know how often you might get hired from it, but it is, there are high quality leads, which can be hard to find a lot of times. And my pro tip, we're going back to Facebook groups. I love Facebook groups. Um, you don't have to get in one specifically for your industry either to get leads. In fact, you don't really want to be in one specifically for your industry if you're looking for leads. So if you're a graphic designer, you're going to want to be in, say, an entrepreneur style Facebook group versus a bunch of other graphic designers that probably aren't hiring a graphic designer. Um, my one tip there is just not to try to sell too hard. Um, social is first and foremost social. So make sure that you're offering value and you're giving more than you get in these groups. It's really important. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is the top red flags. And I want to share this information because it's going to save you time and heartache and missed money. <laughs> um, also known as clients to run from. The first most obvious red flag is a client who asks you to do something you're you aren't comfortable with. This can be ethically. This can be just something feels a little off with them. Pay attention to your spidey sense. <laughs> if something feels off, it likely is, and you're going to be a lot better off getting out before there's money involved, before there's deliverables, um, than wasting your time. And so, three other types of clients to avoid: if they're rude or sketchy. If they're a headache from the beginning, they're going to be a headache until the end. And I've also found that these clients are most likely to try to get out without paying you or paying you less. You'll have clients that come back and decide because you didn't do something right, they want to pay you less. Well, I gave you exactly what you asked for just because you're not happy with it. 
if you just knock those people off from the beginning, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. Second is if they're unclear, and these can sometimes be the nicest clients. They just don't know what they want, and you're going to waste your time trying to educate them. It's My advice for this when they're uneducated is actually to offer that advice on your blog. So if you have a blog, write about the different types of social media if you do social media. Um, give them all that information so that if they come through your website, they're already educated when they get to you or if they're unclear, you can just send them these links and not have to engage over and over again and waste your time. <clears throat> and so the third one is clients that don't communicate. <clears throat> so let's say you sign a contract or you're waiting for them to sign the contract. They're like, sure, I'll send it tomorrow. You don't hear from them for two weeks. All of a sudden they come back, it's signed, they're ready to go. Well, I've already booked my time. Those kind of clients, they're not always doing it to be rude. They're not always doing it um, because you did anything wrong. Sometimes they're just busy and they're overwhelmed. Regardless, if they're going to miss deadlines from the beginning, they're going to miss deadlines all the way around. And a lot of times that'll turn over into missing out on money. So if you can cut these people out before you've invested time, it'll save you time and money. So that is those. Yeah. My final advice is if you want to succeed, you have to be willing to say no. And actually, I'm excited. Kelsey and I just recorded a podcast about this. Um, I don't know when it goes live, maybe a week or two. Um, but willing to kind of step back and moving from that hustle mentality into being a true professional and being willing to focus or being able to focus on those high paying ideal clients as opposed to having to just scrape and take everything that anyone comes with you, comes at you with. So that is all I have. We have a Q&A session and hey, there's the Q&A slide. Yay. So thank you so much, Danielle, for all that info. We have a ton of questions and um, engagement. Yay. So thank you to everyone for all of that. Um, we're trying to work through all of that. Um, so before we get started on that and just to give you a couple more uh, minutes to ask questions in the question box if you need to. Our next webinar is um, January 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern, so the same time as today. And it is about backlink profiles and how they were built. Uh, Kevin Rowe from Rowe Digital, really great guy, super knowledgeable, um, will be leading that with um, Brent Satoris hosting um, our chief social media strategist. So uh, Caitlin is going to put the link to sign up for that in the chat box if you guys are interested. Backlink uh, webinars here at SDJ always do awesome and are always full of really great advice. So that being said, let's get to the questions. Um, like I said, there's a ton, so let me have mouse yeah. back here. Oh, geez. Okay. All right, so Thomas is asking Danielle, how do you narrow it down uh, to a niche or specific clients after you, like you said, it's okay to be general at first and then might, you might want to niche down. How do, you, how do you do that once you decide to? Part of that's going to be your branding. So the example I gave I think was graphic designer who wants to work with women under 35 who have creative businesses. You're probably going to want to use softer colors with your branding. You're going to want to use... Um, I'm trying to think of a word to describe it without using feminine, but let's just go with that even though it, it makes my inner feminist cringe a bit. Um, you're going to want to use softer colors that are going to draw those people in. So think about what those people want and what kind of style they're already using or they should be using, um, depending on what you're, uh, what you're doing as a freelancer. And yeah, so your goal is to attract those people and to tailor, if you have the ability to tailor packages to them, you can do that. Um, mostly I just kind of pay attention to just how it makes me feel when someone, when I work with someone. Um, if it's something I really enjoy, if it's something I really feel passionate about, that's the area I go. And then your goal is to use your branding and to use your content, um, writing specific content for them. Um, that's a great way too because they know that you know their industry in that way. Yeah, that's that's what I did. I, I work mainly with small businesses or one specific niche within a larger business. So I might work with a, you know, a big convention center, but I'm just helping them with social instead of all of their marketing. So that works for me. Um, and uh, it, I think, yeah, I think you're right. It just depends on what gives you the warm fuzzies. What would you do for free 
Um, I love working with small businesses and working with people that are super passionate about um, what they're doing. So that's kind of what has helped me. Um, all right. Probably going to butcher this name. Lore, I think it's Lawrence, but I'm not sure because there's no W. Um, so this is an amazing question that I think is a hot topic in the freelancing industry. He's asking, why is it that some freelancers keep their prices low and thus makes it hard for me to raise my price? What are your thoughts on that and do you have any strategies? Um, so the answer to that is twofold. First, they're not stopping you from raising your rates. Um, you, you are. If you offer more value, you need to be more clear about that. Sure, you can hire this person over here to write an article for you for a hundred bucks. I might charge two or three times that, but I'm a better writer. I'm going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Being able to explain that, that's what's holding you back from not being able to charge more. Um, other freelancers do it. It's a wide range of things. You've got people who live in different countries who have a lower uh, like cost of living. You have people who are just trying to get started, so they're offering lower rates just to get a foot in the door. And then you've got people who just completely undervalue their time and think no one else, no one will pay higher. Um, I think the advice Kelsey has given, and I've heard this from other freelancers as well, which is next time you go to hire, to get hired with someone, double your rates and see what happens. Um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yep. I agree. I, you get to the point where if somebody wants to charge you like pay or pay, you know, $10 an article, you do get the, to the point where you're like, nope, I'm not going to. And it, it sucks turning down money, but you have to, like Danielle said, she's exactly right. You have to think of yourself instead of um, placing the, the, it's called locus of control. If you want to get psychological about it. So <laughs> It's L-O-C-U-S, locus of control. So people who have an – this is going – I'm going to try to do this fast. But people who have internal, internal locus of control, they believe that everything that happens to them is a result of, of them, of the power they have, which is true. External locus of control is um, external forces are what are shaping your life. And that's what you want to get out of that mindset. And I guarantee when you do, you will make more money. Um, you have all the power to change that. So it's a little, I read weights, not way too much, but I, read a ton, so I know fancy, fancy terms. I love okay. it. Max is asking, um, reporting and displaying value is a huge struggle for me. So Danielle, I know you do content, but mm -hmm. is there anything you've done or you've seen other people do to kind of help that helps prove your value and prove your worth? I think with writers, there's a couple of different ways to do it, um, and that's where my specific experience is. So if you're outside of that, hopefully it'll translate over in some way. First of all, as I tell people what brands I've worked with before, um, that helps. I mean, it sounds stupid, but it just impresses them. They're like, wow, you've worked with that brand. Okay. Um, the other thing is to use examples of my work, and when you send examples, make sure you're using your highest quality examples. Um, and if you ghostwrite, that can also be a little bit difficult because you can't really share that. So usually when you give examples, it's three. That's what we always ask for at SDJ. That's what most people want. <clears throat> the top one should be your best example. Like, that's your first foot. Make sure the top and then go down from there. So as far as um, proving your worth, it's going to be showing them who you've worked with before, giving them examples of your past work. Um, with content, it's hard to have numbers, but you can do okay you know, my average reads is X, uh, my, my average article gets this many shares, things like that can work even in writing to have those numbers. Yeah, and if the the writing you've done, if it's on smaller sites, try guest blogging on, on industry sites. So that's what helped me is I, way back in the day, I used to write for Search Engine Land. And so I would, since that's a much bigger platform than my clients, I was able to use those as examples. And so... Um, people could see how my writing held up um, to a larger audience. So that was always helpful. Uh, let's see, chugging along here. Um, sorry, we probably won't get to all these. Maybe we will. Um, 
We've got about 30 minutes. Yeah, sorry. There, some of them are very long, so I'm trying to um, make sure that I explain, you know, these right to you. So, uh, so Beth is asking um, if you have any advice on time management. Yeah. Um, again, it's going to depend on what industry you're in, but I can tell you what works for me. First of all, Kelsey, I don't have a link for this, Caitlin. You're going to have to go find it, unfortunately. Um, Kelsey shared this awesome freaking app with me recently, <laughs> which <laughs> she knows. I've already ranted about this. Um, Boomerang. It's an email app. Um, I'm definitely the uh, inbox zero kind of person. So uh, this helps you. So, all right, I'm trying to think of a good example. So I got a pitch from someone, a writer, who wants to actually work for me. And I'm looking at it for a parenting blog, not for the writing that I do on the regular. Um, I'm like, crap, I don't have time to look at this right now. I'm trying to get something else done. If I leave it in my inbox, it's going to get pushed down. I'm honestly going to forget about it. So I boomerang it, so it popped back up in my email this morning. I took the time, sent them my feedback. Um, it also allows you to schedule posts or schedule emails. So I did this. Um, I was talking to Jess, our sales um, and event manager. I was like, okay, I'm going to follow up with you in a week about that. I type out the email, have them send it in a week. I don't have to, it's so much brain space, so much brain space. I love it. Um, that one I would definitely recommend. Other than that, you just have to make a schedule. So my husband works from home as well, and this is if you're full-time. If you're part-time, then you need to work out when, you, you need to schedule your shifts, essentially, um, if that's the way you work. That's the way I work. Uh, my husband works from home, so I just work when he works. I mean, I work later if I need to, of course, but um, sometimes having so much flexibility can get paralyzing. And so just being like, yep, I'm on a normal 9 to 5 schedule, that really helps me. Yeah, I try to do schedules, but I am pretty bad at um, a schedule since I'm a night owl. Um, I love Todoist. Um, it's paid. I think it's only 30 bucks a year or something like that. Um I love Boomerang, obviously. Um, I've used followup.cc all the time. Um, one thing that has helped me is I'm going to recommend a book. It's called uh, Work Simply, and it's by Carson Tate. I'm going to pull a link up so, uh, Caitlin, you don't have to worry about it. Um, I'm going to put it in the chat. So basically, um, she tells you what your uh, productivity style is. So some people are prioritizers, some people are planners, and those tendencies, you can capitalize on those instead of trying a tool that maybe works for someone else but doesn't work for you. It um, lets you see what tools actually would work for your style. Um, so that's been really cool for me to uh, to look at and, and really capitalize on my style. Um, I use the Pomodoro method too, um, mm -hmm. which I think it's like, I want to say it's like 30 minutes of work and then a five minute break. And there's, yeah. yeah, there's free timers all the time. They say that the, the average attention span for most people is an hour max. So I've tried that too, like closing everything out except for the one thing. And then have a timer go off in an hour to take a 10 minute break. Um, that helps me as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just depends on what works for you. Try a ton of stuff and see what works. Um, yeah. Okay, moving on. Um, Steve is asking if for your advice on billing. So do you bill at the beginning of the month, end of the month, net 30, half now, half later? Um, what do you do? I generally do not take deposits. Most people, most freelancers do and probably should. Um, but I tend to work either in chunks, so massive chunks, um, so I'm working with the same client over and over again, or I'm working um, one or two articles at a time. So that's part of the reason I don't do deposits. Um, I also tend to work with some protection, so I work with companies that I know, which obviously doesn't work always because you'd never get a new client, but <clears throat> I very rarely get burned doing it that way. Um, if you're a graphic designer or something like that, and you're doing like a thousand dollar project, you're going to want to get a deposit. Absolutely get a deposit. Um, for me, that just happens to not be how I work. Um, I generally bill, clients bill, like I bill different clients differently, unfortunately. So SCJ, I bill monthly. Um, I actually use FreshBooks, which I'm always going to plug FreshBooks because I love them. 
um, I have that sent up to do a, it auto sends um, all my monthly invoices for me so I don't have to touch anything. And then um, I have another client that I do very small projects for and so for her I don't bill until it gets up to 250 um, just because it doesn't make sense to send tiny, tiny little invoices. Overall monthly um, is average for what I do. Yeah, I always try to do net 30 if it's a huge project um, that's a flat project. <clears throat> so, you know, an SEO audit and that's it. And we're not going to have monthly engagements. I will do half up front. Yeah. Um, one thing that you can do <clears throat> and everyone else to protect yourself is get them to sign an independent contractor agreement up front. So that's basically just outlining what you're going to provide them, the services, and then your terms. So if you're net 30 or how to cancel an ongoing agreement with you um, and just get that legal protection in place. Uh, since I started doing that years ago, I have only had one client um, that I've had an issue with in payment. So having a professional contract from your end um, really helps um, in terms of billing and getting paid. Uh, you can do digital signing. It's legal in most states. You might want to check. Um, you can use HelloSign or Adobe has EchoSign um, and get it signed digitally so you don't have to deal with faxes. Um, I think Google has a sign thing too. Oh, really? Cool. I don't remember what it's called, but I'm pretty sure that I paid for it for like a year recently. Yeah. Um, all right, moving along here. Um, I'm going to skip around. Oh, some people are asking what net 30 means. Um, net 30 means that it's due within 30 days of when you send the invoice. Yeah. So net 60 would be within 60 days. A lot of big companies want net 60. Um, so be sure to ask that. And some pe some big Big companies, that's their policy. Like I'm working with Digital Marketing Institute, and that's their policy for all vendors. Um, ironclad, they're net 60. So some people aren't flexible. So make sure you ask that, um, especially if you're working with a bigger company, uh, what their turnaround time is on invoices. And try to get ACH uh, payment if you can. So bigger companies will allow you to get your invoices paid via ACH transaction instead of a check, and that can help you get paid a lot faster, too. Do you want to explain what ACH is? Because I suspect that's going to be the next question. Yes, I'm sorry, guys. Um, so ACH is, I don't even know what that stands for, but it's basically you give them your banking information for your business bank account or your um, personal I. I don't want to go on a tangent, but I would recommend everybody get an LLC and a business bank account, even if you're just by yourself, because it will protect your assets like your house or your family assets. Um, I set up my LLC with Rocket Lawyer. Anyway, um, we're going down a rabbit hole. That's probably a whole other <laughs> webinar. Um, but ACH is basically you give them your banking information and then they would send you a wire transfer of the payment. Um, so it's kind of like direct deposit. Exactly. Exactly. Super legit if it's a large company and the way it's set yeah. up, they can't use your account information to pull amounts. Like some random person couldn't get a hold of that info and just use it to make withdrawals. Um, so that's what ACH is. Um, all right. Uh, Devlin is asking, love that name. Um, do you have any tips for writing proposals? You know, we actually talked, Kelsey said, this is going to be an I told you so moment for Kelsey. Kelsey <laughs> said I should include something about that. I chose not to because it's such a, I, I feel like it could be a webinar in and of itself. Um, so this is, you want to stand out. Um, you definitely want to use a tone that makes sense for you, Rand. For me, it's very personable. Um, that's such a broad question. I would need more information to give like a really useful answer and I feel bad because I do want to provide you with a really useful answer. Um, what I do is make sure that I read the, um, the job posting if there is job posting. Um, read it very carefully because a lot of times um, at SCJ we do this too. They include something like, hey, use the word whatever, XYZ in your title. So make sure that you're looking for that so that you can prove that you're detail-oriented. And Above all, make sure that you're sh telling them what you can do for them, not just talking about how awesome you are. Um, it's really easy to just be like, hey, my name is Danielle. I'm a freelance editor. I've got eight years of experience. 
that's boring and they don't care. They want to know what you can do for them. So focus more on the value that you provide than talking about yourself. Yes, and if you're answering a call for proposals, again, that depends on industry. Um, I used to mock mine up in InDesign. Um, I just started using this tool called Proposable, which all the tools we're mentioning, we have no affiliation with, by the way, or yeah, no search engine journal. We just use them because we honestly have found that they work for us. So Proposable um, is basically a, uh, sorry, people are messing with me. It's basically a, uh, a web-based um, proposal builder, and they have pre-made templates. Um, so I really like it. Again, we're not selling any of this. The only um, affiliate link I used was for Amazon for that book for SEJ. That's it. Um, that's the only thing that we, I guess, would have an affiliation with. But um, proposable, all this other stuff we're mentioning. Guys, we are not. You do whatever you want. <laughs> that's just what has worked for me. So since I started using Proposable, I actually have closed almost all the proposals that I've sent. And I don't know if it's just because it's an easier format, um, whatever. So look into proposal templates or web-based solutions um, and see if that helps you with proposals. Um, all right, moving along here. Um, guys, and again... You know, we're getting a lot of messages about, I don't know, saying this is too basic, saying it's you know, too advanced. You know, freelancing is such a huge industry for so many different industries, you know. So we're just telling our, you know, experience, and it's up to you guys to decide what works best for you. Um, okay, moving along here. Yeah, and I think it's really hard because this isn't freelancers forum specifically for any particular industry, and so all your industries are going to be different. Um, and I knew that that was going to kind of be an issue because I'm going to have to offer really broad, because broad information because everyone doesn't do the same thing. Um, so a lot of these answers are going to depend on what you do. Yes, exactly. Um, all right. So moving on, um, Elizabeth is asking, here's a, f a writing, freelance writing question. Do you charge per word or per hour for content? And do you suggest one over the other, or is it just a matter of preference? Um, I do both. <clears throat> I charge flat fee. Um, I rarely charge hourly anymore. Um, the reason that I don't charge hourly, I'm sorry, I charge flat fee and um, per word is the both that I meant. I do not recommend doing hourly. Um, I'm a fast writer. So I'm essentially being punished for being fast. So that's part of the reason you don't want to do hourly. And also it's really open-ended for the client. Um, they don't know if it's going to take you five hours or an hour to write um, a specific article. As far as the flat fee versus per word, it just depends. I'm pretty flexible with either. Um, if It just depends, to be honest. Um, I do both. I don't really have a preference for one or the other. Um, if there's a range, some people are like, hey, I want to pay you 350 for 12 to 1300 word article or 12 to 15 word article. That's fine per word. It's It works out to be about the same. It's basically whatever the, you think the client is going to be happier with as long as you make your money. Yeah, I what I usually pitch up front is um, per word because, and then we agree on per word about a thousand words or whatever right because um, that way if I go over just because you know I'm in a flow and it's really I need to include something I'm still getting paid versus a flat fee um, you know you won't get paid for that extra work but if you have it but I always tell my clients you know if you want to get lock me in for a monthly um, amount of content I'll do it for a flat fee um, so that's a good negotiation tool um, that sure. I've that's worked for me. Um, I I second Danielle's advice: never charge by the hour for content because as you write more, you will get faster. Um, there's some articles like a 500 word blog post for my own blog or a marketing blog. I could probably turn that out in 30 to 45 minutes. Um, yeah. So and you're not getting paid for what's in your head. Like as you spend more time doing things um, and writing about the same industry, 
um, they're not paying for your time, they're paying for your knowledge. And there's exactly. just because you have it in your head doesn't mean they shouldn't pay for it. Exactly. Yes. All right, Mike has an, a really good question. How do you balance time between personal branding and client projects? Um, a lot of times that's going to mean that your personal branding falls by the wayside. Um, and one of the things I recommend for that is the slow periods are going to come up. Um, holidays are always slow for me. And during that time, make sure instead of just slacking off and sitting on your couch watching Judge Mathis, <laughs> you take that time <laughs> and focus on building your business. It's really easy um, when you finally do get spare time to just kind of relax, but that's when you really need to focus on building your business and building your personal branding. Um, it's something you should be doing at least a little bit all of the time. Scheduling time to do that is um, a good way to do that. So for like, for me on Mondays, that's when I fill up my buffer account for Twitter um, because I'm trying to grow my Twitter um, followers. Kelsey is way winning in our Twitter followers battle and it's not fair. So um, Everyone follow Danielle. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's one of the ways to do it is to schedule it. So Mondays I do buffer. Um, I think Fridays are my writing day, whether that's, that's kind of broad. So I do it for all of my sites. I do my writing on Friday. So there's things like that that you just set in place. And once you continually do it, it becomes your schedule and you do it on the regular. Yeah. One thing that helped me is once I've had enough clients, I was able to hire a VA so um, that's a whole other presentation again, a virtual assistant. Um, Danielle and I both have um, team members because they are team members um, in the Philippines. And so um, overseas, there's a ton of great workers that are amazing, have great English, are really educated, um, that are cheaper than the U.S. And so, um, you know, that might be something that you guys uh, – could check out too, um, and that can help you with your branding and kind of take that up a notch. Um, all righty, let's see, moving along. Um, Terrence is asking if you, if you and how do you charge for revisions to your initial drafts of content? Uh, what I do for that is I use it kind of as a bargaining tool a bit. So I had a client come to me recently that wanted to pay a little bit below what I might normally charge. Coming out of my slow season, so I was like, eh, okay, well, how can I make it so that it's worth my time to not get my normal rate? Okay, well, that's not going to include images, and that's only going to include one edit. Normally, I include two, or I include, you know, whatever. It depends on what I work out specifically with the client. But in general, in my pitch, um, whether I do the flat fee or the per word, that includes one to two edits. Um, and like I said, you can use that to kind of work with someone on rate two. Um, that's what I do. I think that's pretty common to include one to two edits. I don't know, Kelsey, what do you do for that? I include it too. So yeah. um, I always have this in my um, independent contractor agreement that it includes up to two edits. Um, and it's always within reason too, right? Like, Yeah, not a full rewrite. Because yes. you changed your mind on what you wanted. That doesn't exactly. count. Exactly. There's another clause in my agreement that says, um, so we're not responsible for the client getting back to us and we'll still charge even if they don't answer us. So let's say I write a, you know, a post for a client and I send it to them and it's done and I never hear back with changes or anything. I'm still going to obviously invoice for that because yeah. I did the work. So definitely. Yeah. All righty. So I'm going to ask a few more questions and then it's uh, about all the time we have. Again, if you want to ask Danielle more questions offline, you can ask her on Twitter. It's um, at DeAntos Twitter. Yes. Um, oh, geez. Um, I love that you guys are asking so many questions. It's awesome. Um. Alrighty, uh, Rob is asking, um, do you have tips for sending pitches on Upwork or Elance? I found that the response rate is very low, even with a high quality portfolio. It is really low. I've noticed that as well. Um, there's so many people on there. That's part of the problem. And that's why it's not 
my top recommended site ever, but it is my top recommended like hiring platform. You have to try to prove your value. I kind of said that already and I know. Um, trying to show what you can do for them and show how you're better than everyone else. One of the things that I'll say is that at some point there's only so much you can do. If you're good at what you do and you're good at explaining why you're good at what you do, um, don't use a template pitch. That's one of the first things I would say. Um, it, it doesn't read personal and no matter how good of a template you use, it's still going to read impersonal. Um, you can use like a basic format, but just make sure that you're tweaking it so that it makes sense for the post that you're going to. Um, that is something that I do that I assume everyone does, but maybe some people, well, apparently some people don't. Um, so definitely making each of your pitches personal and paying attention to the clients to begin with to see if they're high quality. Um, and if they've hired before, there's actually a way within Upwork to see like how many job postings they have versus how many people they've hired. If they posted 40 job postings and hired one person, you're probably wasting your time. And on Upwork, you're also using the connection, coins, whatever they have. Um, so you can only apply to so many jobs at once. Uh, you're wasting those. So pay attention to that. Yeah, and I think um, there comes a point when you kind of move past Upwork. At least that's how I was. So I wouldn't... And maybe this is just for me, you know, but I wouldn't solely rely on Upwork just as I wouldn't solely rely on any platform. Absolutely. Um, so always keep trying and keep raising your rates um, and keep growing, you know. Don't get in the grind, which is our next Freelancers Forum podcast. I think that's going to be published on t the 20th of January. So um, you can subscribe to our iTunes with that link. Um, that was earlier. If, uh, Caitlin, if you could put that the iTunes link in the chat, that'd be awesome. All right, I'm going to give you two more questions um, to wrap it up. So, again, names, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. I think it's Brianne is asking, if I don't have experience writing for multiple industries, how can I get that experience so I can start freelancing? That one's hard. Um, if you have experience freelancing as a whole, you can try to branch out by working with the same client on different things. Um, you can also try writing examples yourself. That one's really hard for me to do. Like if I don't have a reason to write, it's hard for me to sit down and write it. But um, if you're finding like those pitches online where people are calling for pitches, um, and this is not working on spec, this is not writing the article and then sending it to them and expecting them to hire you or pay you. Don't do that. But if you need those examples, pulling a, a, like a pitch call out and then writing as if they had hired you and using that in your portfolio is totally acceptable. Um, I'm not motivated enough to do that, to be totally honest. <laughs> but it is a way to get the experience and to show, to show what you can do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, last question. It's a big and but easy, but pretty easy. Um, Rob is asking, what are your sources for images, and how do you avoid copyright issues? Okay, you avoid copyright issues by not stealing images. <laughs> um, don't you? You can't just. Um, I'm going to make this very basic because Rob, I don't know what your range of knowledge is. You can't just go on Google and pull someone's images and use it. That's not allowed. It's not a thing. Don't do it. You're stealing photographers' work. Um, I use Unsplash, that's a really popular one. Death to Stock, stock Photography, they actually send you packages. Um, what is it? There's a bunch of them. Don't we yeah. have a post on SCJ with like 10 or 15 or 20? Yep. Those are the ones I use the most. Um, maybe if Caitlin can grab that post, we could share it because it does have a lot of good ideas. Yeah, it was written by Mindy Weinstein. Uh, yes. Caitlin, if that helps. I put a few examples in the chat box too. So I love... Pixabay. Um, That's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. yeah. And then PhotoPen is really good because it searches Flickr, but then it gives you in code the exact way to correctly attribute the image. So it's Creative Commons images, which again is probably yeah. a whole other webinar, but um, it, it gives you the proper attribution for Creative Commons images. So even if an image is Creative Commons, which means um, it's basically a license to use it within reason and there's different levels. Um, yeah. 
there are certain levels require certain attribution. So you have to follow that because um, I know for Search Engine Journal specifically, uh, we used an image for, of Willie Nelson <laughs> on another site that um, Alpha Brand Media owned, who owns SEJ. And it was from Wikimedia Commons, which another, which is a site another people, uh, a lot of people recommend. But because it wasn't correctly attributed uh, via Creative Commons, then um, we got fined for it. So the fine itself and then having our lawyer deal with it, it, it was a lot of money. So make sure that you cover your ass basically and get images from proper sources. Um, yeah. So Caitlin put that article in the chat. Um, just make sure you cover your ass because it's not worth it um, for sure. So I want to do yeah. one more question if that's okay. I've been staring at this one and I want to answer it. Okay. Um, I think this is Sheila. Since I have a client who often asks for extra changes or work to be done on top of what's been agreed, I find it hard to say no because I fear losing him. Maybe I should just let it go. Any thoughts? Uh, That's a really good one, and that one's really hard, um, especially when you're still in kind of the trying to hustle and keep all your clients mentality. If you have the contract, um, you get to say what I like to call, I'm sorry that's out of scope. <laughs> Your contract should have defined specifically what you should, were going to do. Um, it should define how many edits. Um, one to two, I think, is pretty standard within writing, and I think it's pretty close to that even in graphic design and things like that. Having that contract from the beginning is going to protect you and keep you from getting in the situation, because as soon as they come to you, sorry, that's out of scope, so that's going to be an extra X, Y, Z. Um, don't assume they're not going to pay you. So when they, so the contract you can't do anything about, right? Because that time's already passed. When they ask for extra work and they say, hey, that was great, but we want to add an extra paragraph to that one page, whatever. Oh, sure, I'd love to help you with that. My rate is X, Y, Z. Just assume that they're going to pay for it. Assume that they agreed to pay for it. Just, okay, sure, I'd love to help you with that. Here's how much it's going to be. And I think that'll help you a lot. Um, if they run away from that, it sucks. It does suck to lose clients. It does suck um, when you think you're good at what you do, specifically. But losing those terrible clients is making way for good clients who are going to pay what you're worth and who are going to treat you well. So I wanted to answer that one. So thank you, Kelsey, for letting me steal the Q&A for a second. <laughs> no problem. That was a good question. There's, there was uh, 50 questions asked, which wow. I think is way more than we usually get. So thanks everyone for your patience. Again, um, feel free to reach out to Danielle on Twitter at D-A-N-T-O-S-Z. Right? Yeah. That's so, right. <laughs> ask her questions. I'm sure she'd be happy to answer. And, and me too. Um, this isn't my webinar, but my Twitter is Wonderwall7 if you guys have any questions for me. So... So, yes, thank you, Danielle, um, and thanks to everyone for coming. We appreciate you being here, um, and until next time. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com. <laughs>